Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We are uh, continuing our look at the Gospel of Matthew. Remember that, that Jesus had been baptized, and then he went out into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan, and now here we are moving on from there. As it happens, um, when I'm recording this, which is a couple of weeks in advance, just so that I, I, I like to stay ahead in case something happens. So when I'm recording this, it happens that this passage is actually the gospel reading that I have for Sunday. So if you go back a couple of weeks, listen to the sermon on the 22nd, um, I'm sure you'll find some familiar information there. I haven't done that sermon yet, so I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so here we are. We Now, when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So Jesus had been out in that wilderness area near the Jordan River, down towards Jericho-ish in that region where John had been preaching and baptizing. And now John has been arrested. We don't get the details of that yet. We'll hear about it later. Um, the, he's been arrested. So Jesus withdraws into Galilee. It, it's, it's, I don't know how to describe this very well. But what it means essentially is that I've got to give you some sort of a history of the region, and we'll do that because it's going to be important in, in the context of this particular reading. So, but, but this withdrawing into Galilee is exactly the same thing his father did when he came back from when he brought the family back from Egypt, and he heard that, that Archelaus was ruling in Judea, so he took his family and moved them up to Galilee because he didn't trust Archelaus, who, had, who was ruling, quote, in place of his father. We've already seen that. And so he didn't trust him not to be like his father. And, and in fact, he had already proven himself to be that way, as he had 3,000 people killed for a, an uprising in the temple over the who would be the chief priest and the enforcement of uh, Herod's uh, power over the temple. And so there's, the, there's a revolt. Some of the soldiers are killed. So he goes in and kills 3,000 people. So, so Joseph had good reason to be concerned about that, and then he'd been warned in a dream as well. So that's the reason they ended up up in Galilee. That's the reason Jesus grew up there. But it was also to fulfill prophetic words about where the Messiah would actually come from. Um, they were a little more obscure, frankly, than, than the prophecies that the Jews themselves were looking for, and we see that in Nathaniel. When, when he's told that Jesus of Nazareth is believed to be the Messiah, his reaction is, can anything good come from Nazareth? They're not looking at the prophetic word that points in that direction. So Matthew is going to give us some of the context of that here today. But So Jesus withdraws into Galilee because it ha it's under a different ruler. Now, it's the half-brother of the other ruler. It's Herod Antipas who will make his appearance later at the time of of the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus, but in the meantime, we've got the we've got this particular uh, Herod, the one the one who is down there, and so he, now it's Antipas is there. This is this is the one who had been up in Galilee at the time of Jesus's birth. He has now taken the place of his brother Archelaus down in in Jerusalem, and so he is the one who has arrested John. And remember, the Herods are at least nominally Jewish. And that's the reason that, that, that there's always a beef between the Jews and the Herods is because the, the, the 
there's a family thing there, but remember the way they came in, that family of the Herods came in into Judaism almost as forced conversions when, when their people, the Idumeans, had been conquered by the Jews in the, in the time of the Hasmonean dynasties, which would be the Maccabees going forward. Um, so that, that's, at any rate, so Jesus withdraws to Galilee because that way it, it, things kind of blend in in Galilee in a way they don't in Jerusalem. There, there's more control and more concern for Jewish um, rebellion of any sort up there, I mean, down there in Jerusalem than up in Galilee. So he will attract less attention from Roman officialdom as well as Jewish officialdom up in Galilee. So, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, so the Sea of Galilee, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, so the question is, who, who in the world are Zebulun and Naphtali? Well, they're two of the sons of Jacob. So they're, they're two of the 12 tribes who were given this area in, in the northern part of the land. <clears throat> and so he, he goes up into Capernaum in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali refers to the original division of the land in the time of Joshua. So that's, that's where he is. Now, he's not from either of those tribes either of those families, but he goes and lives in that place. And, and Matthew says he does so, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And this is from Isaiah 9. And we're going to look at Isaiah 9 a little bit as well while we're here. We're going to go ahead and take a look at that to get the context for what, what this prophecy is about. So Matthew says so that he moved to that region so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here's the prophecy. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So what is all this? Galilee of the Gentiles, people dwelling in darkness, dwelling in the region in the shadow of death. What is all that talking about? Where is it coming from? And so when we look, the, the, the prediction of the birth of Messiah and the coming of Messiah in the world, the most, one of the most glorious passages in, in all the Bible uh, comes from that place, from um, Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And then he, he mentions the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So that's the first two verses of Isaiah 9, he, he, Matthew, leaves out that first part. There'll be no gloom for her who was in anguish. He brought contempt into contempt, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, this same land. And then he goes on to talk about, you've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppression, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forever the more forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this so what is the prophecy that matthew is giving here and that's clearly the prophetic word about the coming of messiah and and is saying that that he will uh, make glorious the way of the sea which is zebulun and naphtali so so what is the contempt that had been brought on zebulun and naphtali and was there still contempt in the day of jesus and the answer is, is pretty straightforward and pretty simple, to be perfectly honest with you. So they're in the north, and so the conquering armies who would come and take Jerusalem came through there first, and they conquered that land first, and then they resettled some of the people from there, and then they settled others in there. It's first conquered by the Assyrians, who, who move out most of the wealthy people in the region, the important people in the region. They resettled them and they leave behind the common farmers, laborers, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they leave them behind to, so in order that there might be a tax base and a bulkhead there in that place. Because, again, it's always going to be the first place that's going to be overrun So by, the, by all these powers. And so you get successively sort of the Assyrians come in in about 735, about less than 100 years later. Now come the Babylonians, who are then overrun themselves and replaced by the Persians, who are then ultimately overrun by the Greeks in the time of Alexander the Great. So the the problem up in Zebulun and Naphtali in the, in the region of the Galilee is this. So people are taken into exile, taken into captivity in Babylon, and then they come back, and where do they go? I mean, read the books of Nehemiah and Ezra. You see very quickly where they go. They go back to Jerusalem. They want to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to fortify the city against future further attacks, and then they want to rebuild the temple because that's the center of Judaism. It's the place where God resides among the people. It's the place God chose. So there's nothing wrong with going back and rebuilding Jerusalem, but the, but the issue for Galilee then becomes it's neglected. It's neglected by the Jewish establishment because when they come back, they go to Jerusalem. Everybody wants to be in Jerusalem, and so they build up the city, and they more or less neglect that stuff out in in. Uh, Galilee, because that's protected by foreign powers. And and the problem with being protected by foreign powers is, is manifold, not the least of which it, it, we actually address in our Constitution that, that the government can't force Americans to, to be uh, held responsible for quartering of soldiers. Well, that has been a, an age-old practice and certainly was practiced by the Greeks and the Romans, in their um, successive um, conquests of the land, and so they would they, they needed places for the soldiers to stay, and so temporarily those who were detailed to those areas would would be quartered in households, and then those who were there longer term would would form their own households. But there were constantly soldiers in and out of the region, and and they were so therefore constantly being quartered with households there. In addition. The, the uh, demographics in Galilee were remarkably different from those in Jerusalem because you had people from these, these successive waves of invaders 
who have come to this place. The Assyrians would have moved some other people into the Galilee, just as they moved people from the Galilee somewhere else. So the, the, the intention was to water down the nationalistic um, demographics that existed in a place they conquered. And the Babylonians did it, didn't do that the same way. Um, neither did the Persians, who actually wanted people to go resettle and have their religious practices and all those other accoutrements of their faith. So what happens all along then, so as you get successive waves of, okay, we, now we have a bunch of Assyrians and whoever the Assyrians relocated there. Then we get a bunch of Babylonians because they've come from Babylon to protect you know, that region, and that's where they would have been. And then the Persians would have done the same, the Greeks would have done the same, and then the Romans would have done the same. And so the, the problem is, when it says Galilee of the Gentiles, the Jewish way of reading that would be essentially Galilee of the pagans. Because they, they would have believed that the Jews who lived in Galilee, who were choosing even then to live there, were choosing to, to, um, to assimilate themselves into foreign cultures. The, the Jew, it, it's an interesting choice in some ways that Jesus makes because his, his career with the baptism starts by going out to John, who's in the wilderness, and those people who are out there, that those groups that are, that are in the wilderness, the Qumran community and the Essenes, have withdrawn from Jerusalem because they thought it was hopelessly corrupt. And so they were trying to create a pure place, even though it's in the wilderness. They're trying to create a place for pure Judaism and an unadulterated Judaism that hasn't compromised with uh, Greco-Roman culture. So they're trying to create that. So Jesus goes into this separatist area first, and then afterwards, after the baptism and after the temptation, rather than going into Jerusalem, where religious leaders were, because of the arrest of John, Jesus knows that things are, you know, things are not moving in a direction where he's going to have great freedom, and it's going to cause more angst and anguish in Jerusalem as there's this division between people. And, and it's not time for that yet. So what does he do? He goes from this extremely separatist place up into the Galilee, where he's from now. He goes up into the Galilee to a place that's considered to be exactly the opposite of that place in the wilderness. It's a really strange thing. Uh, the Galilee is in many ways the breadbasket uh, for the nation. And so Jesus goes from the wilderness where nothing is grown up to this place, and then it's also a place of separatism and then a place of assimilation. And what they would see as compromise, and what that, what that group would have seen as compromised would have been, you, you've not compromised, you've lost everything. And so Jesus goes from that separatist area up to a place where people are really skeptical about the people who live in Galilee, because the, the, the assumption is they've been completely assimilated into uh, other cultures, and at best, they're practicing some sort of bastardized, syncretistic um, religious uh, activity there, because what they would see is just that, that when I say syncretistic, what I mean is that they've assimilated religious thought, or philosophical thought even, into their, um, into their system. And so that's the problem that they would see with the people up in the Galilee is that they're hopelessly compromised in many ways. And so that's where Jesus goes. But Matthew says he didn't go there to hide out. He went there to fulfill a prophecy. And that's how Matthew views everything that happened. He doesn't view anything as coincidental. 
He sees everything as the fulfillment of some sort of prophecy. And so when it says these people dwelt in darkness and now they've seen a great light, what it's saying is, is that it's acknowledging the compromise of that region with the various cultures that have, have overrun them over the last 750 years. And now it says that, that when light comes to the nation, it will begin here in this place, this place of darkness. And so those people who have been dwelling in darkness have now seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And it makes this not just some hideout, it makes it a beautiful fulfillment of one of the most beautiful and wonderful messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. And so it brings glory and honor to that region to have been chosen because that, that would be the, the contempt on that region is they would have felt forsaken and felt like they were less than those who lived in Judea. And yet, ultimately, when God comes to restore the nation, to restore the land, it all begins in that region. And from that time, then, Jesus began to preach using John's words and John's message saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So for those who say that Jesus didn't speak about sin, that's his first message. His very first message to the people is to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he's saying when he says that is, is that, that you're not fit as you are to enter that kingdom of heaven or for the kingdom of heaven to come among you. John's message was the right message. There was nothing wrong with John's message at all. Jesus picks it up and says, this is what must happen. And it, it's fulfillment of the promise in Second Chronicles 17. When the people who are called by God's name repent and turn from their sin, then he will then turn to them and restore blessing upon them. And so that message has to always be the message. If we're praying for revival in the church, revival in America today, then the first thing that must happen is that we, the church, must take responsibility for our sins. We must repent of our sins. We must shirk off worldliness and everything else that has infested us, and we have to get dedicated to the kingdom of God. And that begins with repentance because it begins with saying, I haven't been dedicated and devoted to the kingdom of God. I've been devoted to my kingdom or to somebody else's kingdom, whichever case may be. But at any rate, that's the first message necessary for revival to happen and for the, the Messiah to come and the kingdom of God to be established. But what a wonderful thing it is that God reverses the fortunes first of this region that's considered by Jews and Gentiles alike to be sort of nothing, forsaken by God, and the Jews would believe that they dwell in darkness because they don't have the light among them, and so the light comes first to that region. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.